Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and as always I will be your host and once again I'm joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, how are you? Hope you're well. Hello everyone. All good, all good. Although I guess this was not the best weekend to cover. <laughs> it was not the most <laughs> exciting weekend of them all. No, unfortunately not. Usually we come in and I'm like there's been no nil-nils, there's been plenty of goals but <laughs> this week... With the combined double game week, we did actually have two nil-nils and quite a lot of just one-nils. But we'll still talk about them. We'll still get to them all. Obviously, Transfer Window has just shut as well. So we are in the process of planning our Transfer Window review. That should come about around about next week at some point. We'll put that out there. So yeah, we're kind of going to, again, part the transfer talk for another week. But we promise we will get to it and we'll dive into all the juicy moves that definitely happened on transfer deadline day because there was actually quite a bit of movement between Belgian clubs and from Belgian clubs to different t- sides around Europe. So yeah, definitely a lot to get into. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, we did have a midweek round of fixtures. So I'll just quickly go through the results there. It was basically a load of draws. Uh, Antwerp drew 1-1 with St. Truden. A good result for St. Truden there. Ghent drew 1-1 with Oostend. Oostend, as we said before, they're kind of improving at the moment. Charleroi drew 1-1 with Kortrijk. Zoltar drew 1-1 with Leuven. Standard got a win away to Erpen. Uh, Salang beat Beerscott in the big game, and that was that was a really, really big win and almost guarantees Beerscott's relegation. Anderlecht lost at home to Circle Bruges, a fantastic Rabi Matondo goal to open the scoring there. And then the big one, the top of the table clash finished 0-0, but it's by no means a bad game. There's plenty of intrigue, plenty of kind of interest to keep you watching that. So that means coming into this week, we still kind of had a similar looking table. We kicked off on Friday with St. Sluden against Charleroi. Charleroi winning that game one goal to nil. Uh, Beer Scott and Zulta played out a three-all draw. Uh, definitely some talking points in that one. Still not really enough for Beer Scott and Zulta again would have liked to have won that having been 3-1 up. Uh, Salang and Erpen had a 0-0 draw for this weekend. Uh, Oostend continued their kind of mini-revival, beating Circle Bruges one goal to nil. Union won the derby. They beat Anderlecht one goal to nil. Ghent lost at home to Antwerp one goal to nil. Mechelen stunned standard in the last couple of minutes to win that one 2-1. And Club Bruges beat Kortschleich one nil to round off the weekend. Uh, let's start with St. Truden against Charleroi on the Friday night. Again, not much really in this one. Finished 1-0 to Charleroi, an early goal from Anna Sarui. A nice little header after pretty poor defending. Russo, standing goalkeeper while Daniel Schmitz away on international duty. Kind of caught in no man's land between coming and going. Didn't do either and basically the ball just kind of floated over the top of his head. Good win for Charleroi, that's for sure. For St. Truden, they'd had that really good result in the week against against Antwerp away. They actually looked quite good in that game. I thought they played quite well away from home. Charleroi, they had two defeats and two draws on the bounce. So it's nice for them to get back in with a win. Uh, Leaves them only two points off the top four. And... Oh, Scott, I'll come to you first. Given that they've lost Jamar Nicholson, they've got Bayo in to replace him as a striker. Not quite the same profile of striker in this league. You got to be, you got to be impressed with the job that Ed Still's doing there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And of course, they're sitting just outside playoff one at the moment. So you know, I, I think they are well clearly ahead of schedule, actually, which is maybe as big a surprise to them as it is as it is to us. I think he's he's doing a really good job there. 
Ed Still, actually. I think there's a lot of really good work that's probably not getting the credit it deserves, especially with some of their top players, if you like, leaving, which makes, you know, making progress so, so much harder. You know, it's like working with one hand behind your back. But they've um, they've done some decent business, which obviously will delve into much deeper on the, the transfer window review. But I think they're a side who, who arguably are coming out of the window better than going into it. And have kind of hang in there. You know, some of their key players are obviously away at AFCON and it hasn't actually hampered them too much. They're, they're sitting very nicely. The big story to come out of this game for me was actually the St. Truden fans kind of kicking off after the game. They, they're really not happy at all with a number of things at the moment and we're giving some of the coaching staff some serious stick um, some of the coaching staff went over to speak to them and it got you know it got a little bit ugly for a little while you know when you see somebody coming over and their own fans kind of treating them very much like like they're the away coaching staff and it, it wasn't it wasn't pretty they've done some interesting business in their own right over the last 24 hours which we'll talk about in more detail as well on on the special it's it's perhaps debatable whether they they're looking better or not but Charlemagne are worthy of the win and they're becoming a, a a really decent side actually i think they're managing to win games and get points out of games um, in circumstances where n- normally they normally they wouldn't, they're they're becoming quite resilient and adaptable, and that's that's a good thing for any side to be. That's seven wins out of thirteen away games, which is the second best record of the league. Uh, only Union has uh, nine away wins, so that's uh, they are topping that cl- classification as they are topping almost any classification at the moment. Saruri got his first goal since August. He needed that for sure. And uh, well, the, they need to indeed some players to step up and uh, keep, keep scoring. With Sintuada, Pius was in the midst of the storm, I guess, with, with the fans as well. So uh, let's see what comes out of that. He, he stayed at the club as far as I know. So yeah, at least he, they will have to endure. <laughs> Both sides will have to endure each other. <laughs> yeah, no, Pierce is an interesting one because I remember he, it was the first game of the season. He had an absolute nightmare <laughs> and was taken off after 45 minutes. And I thought, that's it. That's that's him done at this club. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, that is just, this isn't like he's going to recover. He's come back in and I get, yeah, like you said, there's still kind of, there is that frustration that they're having with him. On the other side, another Nigerian defender who's actually come back and he's looking quite impressive. Um, since coming in is Valentina Ozambofor. I like what I've seen from him. Like he kind of came back and due some injuries. I think Andreo and Knezovic were injured, so he finally got his chance. Um, he's been injured a couple of times, I think, as well. But quite a tall, kind of quite your kind of typical Nigerian centre back. Like if you stereotype a Nigerian centre back, you see they're quite tall and physical. But yeah, I've really liked the look of Ozambofor. Only 22 years old as well, on loan from Galatasaray, but he's slotted in quite nicely in there and looks quite comfortable. So yeah, I guess maybe St. Tudor are watching that and thinking, oh, if only we'd got the diff the Nigerian on the other side of the of the pitch, it'd have been a little bit better. But yeah, like you guys have said, they've made some interesting signings in both centre back and up front. So yeah, I kind of I do reasonably like the movement that they've made. But again, we'll talk about that next week. Uh let's quickly move on to the next game, uh which was Beer Scott against Altavara again. So kind of the opposite of what we've just seen, the 1-0. This one was a six-goal thriller. Bit of more dodgy defending, but what do you expect from Altavara again? Ball falls to Apostolos Konstantopoulos in the eighth minute, and he slots it home, giving Beer Scott the lead, much to the light of many of the players and the fans, for sure. 
However, they're pushing for that second and get caught on the break. Really, really good break away from uh, Kutessa and Dompe, I think it was. Ends up back with Kutessa, whose finish is fantastic. Like, really, really good finish from Kutessa. Uh, they then get a penalty in the 42nd. Zeno Gano steps up. He did, like, a celebration as if he was, like, the Iceman, like, the coolest guy on the pitch. And he was, in that sense, like, slotted that one away. And just before half-time, Dion Denev, I'm glad he's got a start and got kind of more game time. I'm really excited to see what he can do because when he's played, he's been quite interesting. Also, he didn't get, he came on obviously uh, for the injured Vossen, I think it was. But he with a really, really nice finish as well. Really composed finish from him to make it three goals to one. And at that point, you're thinking, well, the loss to Salang, now you're 3-1 down at home. Like, Scott, they're basically done. Like, there's no real kind of coming back if they'd lost this game. That is like 100% it really. Um, however, Lawrence Shankland continues some really good form that he's uh, showing it was kind of another kind of scrappy goal um, for Beer Scott that like kind of the ball just kind of fell to him and he slots at home. And then they get a 92nd minute penalty, so right at the death. And I was very surprised to see that Ilias Sabawi was the man to step up and take it, like the youngster. You'd have thought they'd have given it to one of the other more experienced players on the pitch, but they didn't. They went with the kids and he duly delivered and gave them a point in that game. However, Scott, that's, it's just not enough, is it? After the Salang defeat as well, like this was another game that you're like, the draw really wasn't an option. No, I mean, I think they did very well actually to get a point out of it um, in the end. But having said that, I, I think it was partly because of who they were playing and how that <clears throat> how Zolta's defence tends to play rather than rather than anything else. I particularly liked uh, Zolta's first goal. the The counter attacking move that that was that was behind that goal was just brilliant for Kateza. I think you know, classic. You know, opposition um, has a corner against you. Um, you win possession from the corner, and in three passes, it's 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 in the other side's net. It was just it was just great. Correct passes at the right moment, and a and a great finish. Zalta should have won this game. They they kind of couldn't close it out, and it doesn't reflect well on them. I don't think that that they that they didn't. They haven't had, um, and this is us touching on transfer window stuff again. Obviously, they've had a pretty questionable window, so um, they're they're not entirely clear of of danger by any means at all yet and that that will be the biggest worry for them because this game could really have stood them in good stead actually as as, as far as determining that was concerned but yeah Beershaw is kind of yeah shoot, shooting yourselves in the foot I think they started reasonably well in this game uh, got themselves ahead got their tails up you know, and then it just kind of all fell apart. And I, you know, what it's like when things are going against you. You know, yeah, you, when your heads go down, they tend to stay down. And yeah, they did well to kind of get a point out of it in the end. But yeah, there's just there's just not there's not enough in that side at all at the moment. There really isn't. Well, we had not that many goals this weekend. I think we had 14 goals in the weekend, and six of them came in this game. But something not that entirely unexpected, given the their history of both defenses either. And also helped with a few dodgy um, referee decisions, I guess. A small side thing, not very important, but I, I was amused with seeing uh, Dion Coles giving the assist to, to Dion the name. Dion is not that much of a common name, as far as I know, at least. So it was funny to see it. The two, the two deals. Uh, I didn't realize it until I saw it. I was like, well, okay, maybe it's worth a mention. It's not much. <laughs> There's that. Um, and in combination with this game and the next one, uh, I'll already mention it. Like the pitches, some of the pitches are already not looking good anymore. Well, mm. already it is relatively far in the season now, luckily, but 
yeah, for many of these pitches, it's already, it looks like it's time for a new season already. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the um, the Vir Scott Goldmouth looks worse than the pitches I played my Saturday football on. Like, it's that bad. It's just an absolute mud pit, wasn't it? But yeah, as you kind of alluded to, let's just jump to that next game because it has the implications for both. All, but all the sides involved, which was Salang against Urpen, uh, which finished nil-nil. Not a lot of shots on target in this one. They only managed seven between them. Yeah, it's just a result that doesn't really favour either side. Urpen, I'd argue, it doesn't. It favours less in the sense that this was a really good chance for them to kind of put a little bit of breathing distance between them and Salang in that relegation playoff place. But now they're only they're only they remain like four points ahead of Salang. So Salang on 23, Urpen on 27. Leuven are kind of sandwiched between them and Zolta at the moment, but um, we know that Leuven haven't played. I think they've still got at least two games in hand on Urpen and they're getting those players back from the AFCON, so you'd expect them to potentially push back out of that. But again, nothing's kind of guaranteed. Uh, Zolta as well have a game in hand, so they can kind of close the gap and leapfrog Urpen if they manage to win that. Yeah, so I think Urpen really did miss a trick in this one. This was a sort of game that they really needed to go and get the result in. Fair play to Saran, they've put together a win and a draw back to back. So they are kind of unbeaten in two, which is quite needed, especially in conceding one goal in those two. Like keeping the clean sheet, I think will be really, really big for them. They'll be quite happy with that. And potentially it's a sign that the kind of new defenders that they've brought in are an improvement on what they had before. Monowage, uh, Daniel Apare, uh, Dabila as well coming in at centre-back. They got Cissé back. They're going to get Jallo back as well. Probably, yeah, I presume for this weekend he'll be back and fine. So they're starting to get those players back. But yeah, I don't know. Do you guys think, I guess quickly on this one, because it was just, it was a nil-nil. But for Urpen, do you think it's a really a missed chance to kind of push on and get away from that bottom pile? It definitely is. I think they've got now in the league, in the cup, they are still in, in the semifinals. And we'll talk, touch on that later on. But uh, in the league, they have won only one game since the start of October. <laughs> let that sink in uh, we're the 1st of February now and they, they really need just two or three wins actually since then already to be safe but they just don't happen so like with a the, with the draw they don't really move up uh, much and if you fancy your chances against any team at the moment it will definitely be against Beerschot and Seren so yeah that's uh, that one win that they got in in this whole period was also against Beerschot not, not surprisingly so they really yeah, they will need to now to to get some surprise win and, and somewhere or just draw six or seven games. I think out of all, everything that's still there, uh, to be definitely sure from uh, at least the from the yeah okay they won't be 18th anymore of course, but the, from the play down spot that they are not safe as of yet. And uh, Serain, well, they probably also will feel on the other hand the same things since what I just said about Urp, they also probably will have felt like this is a game we definitely can win but there was just not much in, in it. Yeah, I think Yoris is right. I think a lot of teams are getting sucked into this now and, and Sarang have kind of come a little bit alive again. They look like they're capable of climbing the table a little bit, which for, for a while it looked like, you know, they were not only in trouble, but there wasn't there wasn't much happening to, to kind of give you much encouragement on any level either. But um, they, they seem to have kind of woken from their slumber somewhat, I think. And as, uh, as they've done that, uh, other sides have um, fallen asleep 
asleep. So it's it's getting interesting down there. I mean, I think Ustend and, and Standard and St. Truden just above that, I, I think they will probably be okay. But I think, you know, Upen and, and Leuven and Zalta are very much still in this as well, particularly when you look at the windows that they've had too, because there's nothing that's happened there that's, I think, going to dramatically help them. So it's, it's getting really interesting down there. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you kind of consider that Biscot are basically down, um, it is kind of the battle for that relegation spot, the playoff spot. And if you think about kind of the investment we've spoken about, 1B a lot on this podcast, the investment that's gone in and the teams below Vestalo in 1B have strengthened in the window as well. So like there's some good teams down there. You don't want to be facing them in a two-legged playoff because anything can happen as we saw last year. Like, that you thought Beveren were kind of riding into it with some sort of like momentum, but even then they came unstuck against a very good Salang side. So yeah, get even it gives you that second chance, I guess, getting into the playoff. But I mean, it's no guarantee that you are actually going to stay up. Let's move on to the next game. It's probably the longest we spent talking about a nil nil. Actually, I think um, on our podcast again, this was kind of this was an interesting one. This Circle of Bruges against East End because I feel like Circle of Bruges are kind of like. The style of play that we're almost seeing for them, like this pressing and stuff, is what we saw from East End last year. It's kind of like two very similar isk sides in terms of how they like to play football and how they don't need the ball all the time to be effective at what they do. Um, and despite Circler's really, really impressive run of form, it was actually East End who got the win in this one. And what a goal from Maxime Diarpino. Like the free kick is fantastic in the 76th minute. Scott, I'm going to hand it to you because you had this incredible stat about, uh, I think it was about Maktar Gay that we were speaking about before the game. We were like, oh, this is like, you said the stat and I was like, yeah, that's going to happen this game. And it obviously didn't. Um, but t- <laughs> you just, yeah let people know because it was it was a ridiculous stat that they kind of have with him yeah well I think I think it's something like this I think since the start of last season Oostend have only won I think 28% of the games that they've played in which Magdargay hasn't started but in games in which he has started I think the figure is about 48% um, so there's a massive difference and clearly, he's a really significant player in that squad. I mean, that—that's. I don't know what I don't know what that that percentage equates to in terms of points over that period of time. I haven't looked at that, but either way, it's it's significant uh, for two reasons. One, he's not playing, but when you look at some of the numbers. All of the numbers strongly suggest he should be playing because not only do they win games, but they consistently seem to pick up points. And when they're in the situation they're in at the moment, I'm not sure that's a sustainable uh, situation. So they really are, I think, going to have to look at starting him again, I think. The, the, the strange thing here actually is the last couple of weeks actually since Blyson's left they've actually been playing not bad at all the performances have really been pretty decent but obviously you can't keep relying on that but yeah Magdar Gay hugely influential figure and the numbers suggest um, he's even more influential than, than, than you would imagine but uh, what a free kick indeed probably one of the best free kicks maybe even the best one this season in the league uh, so definitely if you didn't look that up check that out should have scored as well I think they've Matondo alone went three times past the goalkeeper it, yeah, once once he did put it in the net but it was narrowly offside before and the other two times it just didn't make it to a shot or to a decent shot at least so uh, yeah they, they definitely had their chances even in this game but uh, Ostende got away with it and uh, they'll be happy with that because 
also for them, they, they still need a few wins to be really safe. But it, now they're also moving up a bit in the rankings uh, outside of just moving uh, or getting gathering points. They move a few places, so there's more teams that have to catch them again as well. So a very important win for them. Yeah, no, definitely. Really, really good free kick. And um, N-Circle is really good run that they've been going on. And they'd just be... Anderlecht during the week as well. So yeah, they've been really on fire. So Eastern will be definitely happy with that. Speaking of Anderlecht, uh, we had our Brussels derby. Uh, we had fans back in for the Brussels derby, which was great. And it was Union, the, le- the, the league leaders who managed to get the win in this one. One goal to nil, Casper Nielsen in the 11th minute. Uh, nicely worked free kick routine. I don't know why you give Casper Nielsen any sort of space on the edge of the box. He's one of those players I definitely want to close down. <laughs> Took a nice deflection, to be fair, but yeah, went past Van Kronberger, who himself had a fantastic game when it came to shot stopping in this one. There were two two or three saves that he made that were just kind of outstanding. But then you still have those issues with the ball at his feet. And the way company wants to play is that the ball is at Van Kronberger's feet. He has to be competent uh, on the ball. And it's just you're just nervous every time he gets it, aren't you? Like You're just like, oh, what's going to happen here? I thought... In this game, I was really, really impressed with John Taylor and Mani. I thought he was fantastic in the midfield for Union. His energy, his like ability on the ball, he could just take some of those midfielders out of the game. I think he really, really helped them kind of win that midfield battle against a very two very good players in Olsen and Josh Cullen. I have to say, Anderlecht in the first half, not so good. They had a lot of the ball and they were playing... I think Scott, you said in our WhatsApp group, like some nice kind of, some nice like airy fairy faffy stuff around, which like looks great. But when it came down to creating chances and getting the chance, they just couldn't quite get that final pass, that final ball, that final finish. On that, um, though, I'll, I'll quickly jump in already. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week you were laughing about Hink having a 0.03 xG <laughs> at, at the break. This time Union had a 0.03 <laughs> xG at the break and they were ahead. <laughs> I think that sums up the first half though, doesn't it? Uh, like Anderlecht, lots of the ball. Uh, Union, not so much of it, but were happy with what they had. And then Van Kronberger started to make those saves in the second half. Like he wasn't really that busy in the first half. Interesting kind of vibes, I guess you could say, coming out of Anderlecht in this game. In terms of the frustration certain players have with decisions, I guess Vincent Company's been making. So Josh Xerxes obviously gets substituted reasonably early into the second half and he is that it takes forever to get back to the bench and he's not doesn't really sit down doesn't speak to anyone doesn't get any high five he, like someone offers him like a high five handshake and he just pretends he's not there so he's clearly frustrated and then Benito Rahman comes on and after the game he talks about how he's frustrated and he can't continue coming off the bench and might be looking to leave. So there's frustration amongst those players. Hoot and Raphael have had a little bit of an argument at half time. There's it's just a strange kind of vibe because things were going quite well there and now you've got funnily enough the kind of the experienced players or the players that on loan have just come in who are frustrated. Whereas the kind of players that you want this side to build around aren't necessarily getting a look in for some of these players. Obviously, with the referral of playing, that means you're not playing Amuzi or you're play- not playing Aitel Hajj. Uh, Mario Stoikens came on uh, in the second half, which was nice to see him get on. But obviously, he's down the pecking order as a youngster and because of Kwame and Xerxes as well. So, yeah, frustration coming out of Anderlecht, but 
a massive win for Union. You could just see what it meant to Mazu and the rest of them when they got that over the line, didn't didn't they, Joris? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, it was not the best game of them any, uh, in general, of both teams, I guess, but they don't uh, need that at this point, of course, in, especially in these big games. They'll, uh, they'll be happy to just uh, grab the points. Against Klubbrugge, they probably deserved more even in the, in the, the game during the week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the, the relief was there. The not not and and the joy, of course, winning to the Brussels derby, tr- Brussels derbies in one season. Um, that's uh, not something that happens a lot uh, across all of history, even in their successful periods. I believe. I think it was nineteen nineteen fifty two was the last time they kind of completed that double. Well, fifty one fifty two season certainly. Well, um, yeah. So it's 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 yeah that that alone is a stats quite 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 something. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And well, yeah, Anderlecht. Somehow they they always seem to struggle to get out of out of the winter break. With with at least like, they were playing quite okay and didn't play horrible in any of the games that they played since the winter break. But their efficiency is lacking again. Yeah, I don't know. There's some. It's a some, it's a thing that seems to be coming back over the past few seasons that they just don't start. Well, after the winter break, and well, the frustrations are showing now as well. Yeah, Raman probably expected to play a bit more because Kwame was at, was still at the Africa Cup, uh, and in these even in these games he didn't play much. Then he gets sacrificed against Cirque after Hoots red card. I I I do get his frustration a bit, but also it's not smart, of course, on how you handle that frustration. It's normal to have it, but how you handle it is, is something else. I guess some discussions when things are not going great that might but might. Have happen then that that doesn't necessarily is is something that's going to stick long i guess uh once the results start flowing their way again but uh, that's definitely needs to start going again they they were last week still uh, the, one of the teams in the best forms of all of all the whole of the whole league now they added two lo- losses which they probably did not uh calculate um, we'll see how that develops now but i guess it will go away over time once the results uh, get better it's interesting that kind of ben was mentioning you know just some of the stroppiness with some of the players uh behavior actually uh because this i think comes back to you know what ben was referencing about me saying that their their performance was just a wee bit frilly you know um there was lots of nice one touch stuff and 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 like do play good football but there was nothing yeah there's nothing penetrative or meaningful really going on and there was a lack of ideas and some of the body language was just kind of a wee bit too casual for me at times it's almost as if they were kind of expecting things to sort of happen for them and they never really troubled Union at all and you would think for a game that was as big as that uh, both in terms of you know the, the the rivalry aspect of it, but also you know needing the points and like needing the points. I, I, I think it was just all a bit a, a, a bit disappointing and a bit lame. And company had his um, his grumpy dad look on. Um, he was he was sat on a chair actually uh, beside the dugout, a bit like you know your dad sitting at the beach in a bad mood with a, with the newspaper over his face. It was like he just knew you could tell by his body language that it wasn't happening for them f- for that day. And Union actually they did their thing. Uh, very very well didn't have to deviate from from their game plan because Anderlecht didn't didn't offer enough to to, to really challenge them. Union march on as as they do week on week at the moment. Yeah, no, definitely. It was nice to have the fans back uh, for that one. I think it was really really important for them to be kind of in the stadium to give that one a bit of atmosphere. That's for sure. So now let's move on from the Brussels derby to the next game that took place, which was Ghent against Antwerp. Not the most 
engaging of games, I guess you could say. Ghent dominated in terms of possession, but just couldn't find the back of the net. They had 16 shots, only four of which were on target. I mean, they really miss Tisu Dali, Depotra up front. They went into this one with Serbian legend Lamaik up front. And I mean, <laughs> I saw Van Heisenberg come out in the media and be like, well, if he left today, there's 15 other Belgian clubs that would be interested in him. <laughs> not sure about that one mate uh, let's be honest but maybe they would be I don't know but I think they'd be a lot more interested in Tisa Dali and that but a really really nice finish from Al Hassan Youssef uh, was the difference in this one uh, 16th minute he gets a goal and assist from Nyingaland there I mean again if you look at the stats of this one Antwerp had 37% possession two shots on target only three shots overall but as they've been doing kind of all season they're just getting the results that they need now um they're not playing pretty football despite the squad they've got but they've got a chance midweek to move back into second place uh with a win i think there would be only seven points behind union in top spot they face uh advert that is faced called trike uh in kind of one of those rearranged games scott i guess i'll go to you Again, on this one, were Antwerp good enough for the three points or were Ghent just completely wasteful and lacking that upfront quality that we know is in the squad but just not present at the moment? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I I thought Ghent were just pretty poor on the whole. You know, they had quite a lot of the ball, didn't really do anything with it. And, you know, you're talking about Antwerp being not particularly kind of entertaining. the, the, The side that Brian Prisk is kind of building and putting together there has got quite a good balance to it, I think. And that's the interesting thing. It's not always as attractive to watch. And certainly Antwerp fans, I think, feel that it could be, you know, a lot better to watch than than it is a lot of the time. But it is very, very effective. You know what I mean? They handle the physical aspects of the game in Belgium very, very well, while carrying, you know, a, a, a reasonably potent, you know, offensive um, force that, that, that has been pretty successful for them on the whole, even apart from Michael Fry. Not not really a great game. Antwerp, you know, effectively defended this game out for the majority of it, and that tells you kind of, you know, how how poorly maybe they rate Ghent themselves, that they felt they could do that at 1-0. Well, defended it out, they should they should have just lost because it's... I don't really buy into everything you're saying there because Ghent had like a lot of chances. I think Lehmai should basically have a hat-trick <laughs> uh, as well and he didn't get on the score sheet. So the 21st minutes of Antwerp were really good like, until the 1-0, I guess. Frey should also not be taking any penalties anymore. He He's taken five this season. He's missed three. Luckily, he, he uh, enough for him, he, he was able to score the rebound of, on two of them, but uh, that was not the case this time. But he missed more penalties than, than he scored this season. So that's uh, quite a ridiculous stat, actually, for a goal scorer like him. Kint <laughs> really were wasteful with their chances, indeed. Like they, they don't. I don't think they still uh, believe how uh, they did not win. And on the other hand, though, I also feel like they still could be playing on and not have scored. So with what, <laughs> what, what with the players they had at the moment. So I guess in that sense, it's a bit of both. And like, yeah, the the efficiency was definitely not there. Like indeed, because. Ben mentioned two shots on target. Well, that is then going to be that one penalty and the the shots from uh, from Yusuf. So yeah, that, that was literally everything Antwerp did. And well, they were able to see it out in the end. Nangolan uh, said in his post-match interview, 
which which lasted like 32 seconds or so. I think he said the word mentality six or seven times. <laughs> and uh, Priske also repeated that. So they definitely, after that disappointing 1-1 draw where they didn't uh, manage to defend the game, uh, see the game out, they, they definitely, that will have been the code word on the training sessions afterwards uh, in between these two games. I think it's worth mentioning as well that, that again are notoriously slow starters in games. I think they've conceded, I think almost a third of all of the goals they've conceded uh, this season have come inside the opening 15 minutes a game. So although they have it within them to be able to turn games around, they have this genuinely bad habit of having to chase a lot of games. And again, here it happens, but this time they're not able to kind of have any real impact on things at all. And that's something they need to sort out. I mean, you, you can't, you can't develop a habit like that if if actually you do aspire to push as hard as possible for a playoff one spot. Yeah, no, I think a team selection has been kind of interesting as well at the moment. I mean, people asking where Gianni Bruno is, like he's on the bench for the Mayak. Um, clearly, Heinzburg's just not a fan of Bruno at the moment. Like He's kind of chopped and chained now. But at least they did. Uh, Vadis Ojijafoy is back now uh, from his injury. Tisudali's obviously back. The Potchers recovered, I think. He was in the squad list, but didn't actually make the final squad. So hopefully he'll be back. But it's just some strange, like Castro Montes playing in behind the striker alongside Hulsaga when you've got Bezos on the bench, who's very much a in-behind-the-striker sort of player. Not saying Castro hasn't been good. Like he's grabbed a couple of goals. Like, you obviously... I feel like Heisenberg wants Samwas in the side, but he also wants Castro in the side. But he also wants Nuro Fortuna in the side. So you've got to kind of, like, fit all these wing-backs into the system somewhere. And somehow Castro ends up in-behind-the-striker. An interesting position that I didn't expect him to be playing at some point in his career, but I guess that is just what it is. But, yeah, I think... <laughs> With Antwerp as well, I look at that squad and I just feel like it should be able to score more than one goal in a game. I think as well, if you said to someone, oh, they're going to have the second top scorer in the league and then they're going to add Umbrana Samata next to him and play up front as a two, you'd be like, oh, well, they're going to score goals then, aren't they? Yeah, wild that Frey's missed more penalties than he scored and he's still got 18 goals for the season. I mean, he's just letting Undav have it really, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to Standard Liège against Mechelen. Standard fans were back in the stands as well as most fans were. Um, always a good atmosphere there um, if they're doing well. If they're not doing well, it can get a little bit toxic. But um, <laughs> yeah, they did start quite well in this game. I thought they first half they were very good. They were creating some chances. Uh, they did take the lead through Matteo Caffaro. Uh, really, really nice finish, actually. Donham did well to set it up initially. Uh, he played it into Dragos. Dragos kind of tried a shot. It deflected out to Cafaro, who's just really nice composure to kind of, I think he like hits it into the ground, but with such power that it flies into the bottom corner. It's a bit unlucky for Gaetan Kuku. who actually made some really good saves in this game initially. There was a shot, I think, was it from Cafaro or Dragos, kind of on the edge of the box that looked like it was going in the top bins. And he reached around and grabbed that. A couple of his near post, like really impressive. Um, we mentioned, we were talking about his... Uh, his different style of kit that he was wearing it was quite flashy and out there. And I think it's definitely a kit he should wear going forward because he was <laughs> he was decent in it. Into the second half, Mecklen came back into it and really, really nice goal. Uh, the ball through to find Rabti. I think it was from Schweds. Really nice kind of killer, killer cutter through ball into the box. There were kind of questions of offside, but it, he was definitely on from the kind of angles that I saw it from. Really nice finish into the bottom corner. And then Nicola Storm comes on and 
yeah, again, it was a really nice pass initially from Jeffrey Harriman's. I think in the build-up, it might be missed in turn because you'll see the good finish from Storm. But he keeps the ball quite well on the edge of the box before swinging it across to Storm, who we've seen him score these goals countless times now, where he kind of cuts in onto his right foot and then angles it back into the bottom left-hand corner. This happened in the 90th minute, so it's kind of inevitable that that was it. Mecklen were going to grab that. And I don't know, Joris, I don't know if you saw, but Elsner's face at the end just looked like he just looked kind of shocked that this had just happened to them. That it was another defeat at home, and he, he just didn't look. He just looked a bit perplexed as to what had gone wrong there. Yeah, yeah, and like giving a well, a nice impression of a, how a baseball meme could look like as well. <laughs> if I recall right, that was it was really baseballing, and yeah, well, sad for him, of course. Yeah, well, Cafago looks like a decent signing for Standard, but they. They looked okay, actually. They looked better than in most games so far this season. I think they're indeed wondering how they uh, have given this aw- this one away. Although Mechela did turn up a bit more, were also not that bad during the whole game or during the second half, especially. Yeah, first half, they actually were quite bad, I think. But the uh, f- second half game, that, that could go both ways. And uh, it went Mechela's way, uh, but... That, and of course, Storm being decisive again, he, he really is having an outstanding season. Cannot stress that enough, I think. And that's a good uh, three points for Michel as well. They also stay in the a bit in the race, at least for the playoffs. Which playoffs we'll have to see, but they 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 are not lagging behind, uh, so they they will be fighting until the end. I think. Yeah, I think Standard were um, pretty decent in the first half, as as Joris was saying. They did create a you know good number of opportunities, more so than they've been doing for a long, long time in in a game, and just kind of fell out of this game. To be honest, um, Mecklen, yeah, were better in the second half. I agree with Joris, but Standard almost didn't really compete too hard in the second half. Particularly good to see Nicholas Storm back as as. Joris was saying, really good player, and we did see, as Ben was saying, an absolute textbook storm. Yeah, it was one of those goals where, like, if you just told me Nicholas Storm had scored, I'd have been like, that's the goal that he would have scored. Uh, If you know what I mean, I'd have been like, yeah, it looks a bit like that. So let's move on to the final game of the weekend, uh, which was Kortaik against Club Bruges, and then I think we should talk a little bit more about Kortaik, because... Obviously, they've got this game against Antwerp tomorrow, and there's a lot of kind of stuff around that that we could probably get into. They started this game really well, actually. They really took it to Club Bruges, I thought, in the first few minutes and were unlucky not to get an early goal. It's nice they had Soleimani back, who almost scored from his own half, literally uh, hit the post. Mignolet, absolutely nowhere for that one. Then, yeah, Club Bruges kind of built their way into the game, slight kind of formation change well not formation change but kind of personnel change obviously without Clinton Matter you expected to maybe see some of the wingers come in but instead Belanta came in uh, much to Scott's delight to kind of show up the midfield three which saw kind of Matt Ritz play a little bit wider however it was Charles de Ketelar and Baz Dost again who were the difference in this one really nice build-up play actually for this goal from all involved I guess you can say in terms of Van Aken through to Ketelar I don't know how you lose Bastos in the middle, but he had a nice, easy tap-in. But I thought I thought Kortreich were good value in this game. I thought they really... I think the thing you can say about Kortreich in terms of as a team and stuff, and I, it kind of goes for a lot of sides in Belgium, not all, but a lot of them, they don't care who they're playing, they're going to still try and win the game. And I find that a lot with Kortreich. I feel like they didn't care that they are playing Club Bruges. They're like, we're at home, we're going to take the game to you, we're going to try and win it. Despite the players that they're missing in terms of up front and stuff. So 
in fairness, I have to say it's a good win for Club Bruges uh, away at Courtelike. Good for Bazdos to get another goal. Obviously, they've gone out and got a couple more players in. Um, I know Club Bruges fans aren't necessarily happy about the players that they've got in, but we'll get into that another day. Yeah, do you guys agree? Do you think actually, even though it was only 1-0, it's actually a good result for Club Bruges given how well Courtelike have been playing against lots of teams and how difficult they are to beat? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think Kareem Berlesine is actually doing a really good job there. Um, I know it's, he's not been long back in his second spell there, but I do, I do think he is doing a good job, you know, in getting the best out of that squad as well. And without going into too much detail, because we'll, we will obviously do this next week in our transfer window review, I think they've done some generally very good business, I think, that, that's going to help even more. I suppose we can't forget Fire Selamani's almost extraordinary goal that was denied him by, you know, what, maybe an inch or so from the post. Absolutely incredible. But yeah, I, I think a lot of positive things kind of going on at Kertrike. And like you say, they, they're very good at having a go at you and they, they don't really fear anybody. And they're actually quite a well-equipped side generally to compete in this league. So they're they're always going to have a chance against anybody in truth. Yeah, but despite everything that's been nice every, here, said here, I, I think it, they were never going to get anything against this group of sides. I, I was quite impressed with Libya. They, they really took the game in hand despite indeed a rocky start a bit and things could have gone differently of course if that shot of uh, Salamani got in but that would have been a lucky shot in a way <laughs> or a touch of genius is how you want to call it but uh, yeah Dost indeed with a sitter that should have been in already for Mercodes a goal narrowly shot, chopped off uh, because of a dust um, offside as well. But uh, yeah, I, I, I really played really well in my as well. And yeah, needs Cortex still that you have to give that thing to them. They'd never give up, and indeed they, it was still only uh, nil one. So anything could still happen. But I never really felt like it would in this particular game. Of course, in general, indeed, I do think they are still doing a really good job. Like this particular game, like, I didn't really feel it, that they, that they could grab in it something out of it. Yeah, and no, I'm sure Schroeder would have been quite happy with the performance. And um, yeah, just more more nice play from Charles de Kesselaar. Another goal for Baz Dost. So, <laughs> always happy there. Let's stay on the kind of court-like theme um, with them going against Antwerp this week. Obviously, this is a game that was originally cancelled on the 26th of December because of, I think it was something like nine COVID infections at Antwerp, which Kortrijk have, they put out a statement today being like, we obviously were more than happy to continue to play that game. It's now kind of arisen because of basically everything that's happened that I think 14 of their 30 core type players are not available to play. The international obligation, so I presume they're talking about Trent Sainsbury, obviously, away um, with Australia at the moment. I think they played today, which was Tuesday, so it's physically impossible for him to get back in time. Uh, injury suspensions, and then also all the winter transfers they've brought in aren't eligible to play because the game was originally meant to be played on the 26th of December. So originally Cortite went to the league and were like well can our can we have these six winter transfers players be allowed to be eligible to play because we're missing so many players uh, that's obviously been denied um, they then obviously asked if the game could be postponed which has also been denied I think it begs the question we, we spoke about this a few weeks ago about how the kind of like inconsistency of the whole thing so I, got, I want to get your guys like quick kind of opinion on that but they're going into this game with 16 players and I mean, I've looked through it and I think you can just about put together a kind of higgledy-piggledy squad there or like a, a starting 11. But then two of those 
players as substitutes. So you've only got, what, 13 outfield players? If you take Illich, obviously it's going to start in goal. Joris Dell, Maxime de Man are going to be on the bench. So you've got 13 outfield players to choose from. Like It's a bit farcical, isn't it? that they've been put in this situation when they do have six other players that could play. When we've also seen, I think Christoph Dahan came out and said, well, Richie Delat was suspended for that game, but now he's allowed to play. So I don't know if, what, you, what your kind of guys kind of like quick snap opinions on this. I personally think it's unfair. I think they could have been a bit flexible and been like, okay, yeah, you're, your players, your new players can play because of this ridiculous situation. I think it just does. It's better for the league if those players are allowed to play because it makes it more of a competition. But I'm open to counterpoints and counter arguments on this. I think you're dead right, Ben. I think you know this is a mess that could so easily be avoided with with a little bit of common sense. And I think the point about you know the new players being ineligible. I think while that's right, obviously on a technical level, it's just, it, that in itself just underlines the the mess around the original postponement as well. It's just it's just crazy and. You know, it's it's the Pandora's box world of, of Belgian football, really, where, you know, things could be so much simpler and should be simpler, but just never are. Even if even if I would not necessarily allow them, although I do get your points, though, but at least a postponement should be possible, especially since mm-hmm. the original postponements at that time, there wasn't a rule for COVID cases, so that, that they actually conceded a bit in, like, postponing this game so it's 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 just ridiculous that this game has to go on tomorrow anyway uh as well in if, whether what the, what the solution might be postponement or indeed allowing players to stay that are brought in to play it's all a bit yeah weird as well because obviously players that are sold also cannot play anymore so yeah it's all it's difficult but like this could should not go on at this point in time uh, in my mind yeah no definitely <laughs> kind of had a funny image of them bringing the players back that they've just sold in january be like sorry lads you, you gotta go and play one more game for us so we can be eligible to play this match like it's yeah it i think i, I think a postponement would have been the right thing to do but Good luck to them tomorrow. I hope that it's a good game, but I can see it being a a 1-0 Antwerp, um, if anything. Let's move on to some other kind of news, I guess, coming out of 1A. Just can briefly touch, we see that Omar Gavir is back in the fold at Zultavar again. He's been back in training. He was banished to the B team. That's what the technical term, I guess, is. Um, But he's been welcomed back into into the first team to see if that he can feature with the kind of end of the season coming up I guess looking at their own predicament they've looked at it and thought yeah we could do with someone of his quality the manager even came out and was like yeah well we're paying him so we may as well use him which I mean he said it a little bit more diplomatically than that but that's basically what he was getting at <laughs> do you guys think that it's the right thing to do do you think it's kind of more a sign of desperation that they really need someone like that in there I mean Gavert's not going to solve their defensive kind of issues but we know that on his days he was a very very good player for them last season yeah he's 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 quality when he's when he's performing and i think it is definitely a case of all hands on the pump because they are still in trouble and they've they've had a really poor window in my view um again we'll come back to that in more detail later on but i think it's 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 out of all of that that this situation's kind of come about and if i was them i'd be doing exactly the same thing because you cannot afford to leave a player who can be as good as he is on his day um out in the cold for whatever reason and i think it is you know various behavioral reasons you know what i mean that that long standing when you know wipe the slate clean give him another chance and try and get out of trouble that's that's obviously what's going on there and that's the only option they've got yeah 
No, I think I agree. I think it'd be nice to see him kind of get back into some form. We don't just have league action this week. We also have some cup action. So it's the first legs of the semi-finals. Ghent with Tisu Dali. They even announced it when they announced the squad. They're like, Tisu Dali is back, just to make everyone happy. Um, they host Club Bruges on Wednesday. And then the cup team of last year, the cup team of this year again in Urpen, they host Anderlecht on Thursday. Joris, I'll get your kind of quick prediction. How do you think the Ghent club one's going to go on Wednesday? It, it could be an interesting one for sure, since Clubbrugge is still adapting to their new manager and new style. And if, of course, also it's the first game of some of the well, new recruits. Uh, also, uh, Schroeder hinted at, I think, Skoff Olsen could be eligible to play already. And well, it's always good to see how things go. Uh, there's also still players missing. There's players back. So interesting one, definitely. But prediction-wise, well, I, I'm sure Clubbrugge will want revenge for that 6-1 hammer earlier this season as well so it i do think that they will edge it already in the first leg mm, yeah it's definitely been an interesting one um i actually forgot about that <laughs> that six one drubbing so i'm sure lots of club Bruges fans had hadn't forgotten going into this one so yeah that should be an intriguing one scott Open against Anderlecht. I actually thought Open were really unlucky not to go further in the cup last year uh, when they played standard. I thought they were really good in that game. Given their kind of patchy form this year, do you give them any hope against an Anderlecht side that will probably be thinking, yeah, we could do with winning the cup this season? Yeah, I don't I don't see why not. Because, you know, on their day, Open can, can beat anybody. Second successive semi-final, like you were saying, which is kind of pretty good going. And quite a lot of pressure on Anderlecht now, I think, going into this. Obviously, they had a, you know, a really bad result in the derby against Union but this is realistically I think their best chance at some silverware this season so there's quite a bit of pressure on them to, to go out and do the job really professionally, I think, and get to a final and get Vincent Company some 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 silverware that would take a little bit more pressure off them. It's bizarre because they've actually been playing kind of quite well, apart from the result this weekend, for kind of quite a while now. So it just shows you, actually, um, in Belgian football, one result at the wrong time can pile quite a lot of pressure on you at, at, at an acute moment. So it'll be really interesting to see the way this one pans out. Yeah, no, definitely looking forward to these. And I think my kind of hope is for both of them that we go into the second legs still pretty evenly leveled so we get a bit more drama at the back end of that. Scott staying with you let's just have a quick 1B chat to give us a little update of all the craziness that's been happening in that league this weekend. Yeah well, it's been it's been quite a quiet weekend in, in, in 1B in a lot of ways. Scores round up Loma lost at home to Laers uh, that was Laers's first win in the league since October actually they've been in a bad run uh, which they've managed to end now Denza uh, won 2-1 one at home against uh, Verton, managing to turn the game round. Beveren beat Table Toppers Westerlo 2-1 at the free teal. And uh, Molenbeek uh, won 2-0 at home against Muscron. So Westerlo remained top. They're still seven points clear of Beveren, but they've got a game in hand, so they could still extend that that, that lead, despite uh, Beveren kind of temporarily reducing the gap a little. Molenbeek keeping the heat on Beveren, keeping things hot. They're only a point behind them now in, in third. So that, that race for that kind of second spot, that playoff position is, is really starting to get, you know, kind of quite intense and, and interesting now. And Lomo 
Hall, who we mentioned last week as being in a really difficult run of form at the moment. I think that's no wins in 11 now. And it really is, I think, going to come down to which one of those two sides, whether them or, or Verton, can, can put two or three results um, kind of uh, together. Because it looked for a little while at the weekend like they're like Verton were going to get something at Denza, but they, they didn't in the end. Denza managed to turn it around um, kind of quite late on. So there's there's been a lot of transfer activity in, in 1B as well, which we, we may touch on in our transfer uh, review special, uh, the significant stuff. But yeah, it's getting always interesting in 1B. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, kind of, you saw in the transfer window, you could tell kind of the teams that were really going for it in terms of trying to get promoted. Like Molenbeek have been very active in the transfer window. Beveren as well, we know that they've obviously, with Jordi Condom coming in, and he'll have had some players on his mind when he came in about he thinks could they could recruit and bring into the club. So yeah, you can tell they're going for it. Vestler as well, they brought in some really interesting players from 1A down into their into their squad and even at the bottom like you said with Lommel you can see kind of the recruitment there has been to get some 1B experience into that squad um, as well so I think yeah next week in our transfer special I think we should we'll definitely have a little roundup for all the 1B fans of kind of the big the big transfers and stuff like that but yeah I mean it's so tight for that second spot if Denza win their game in hand obviously it's against Veselo so it's difficult but they it's then a three-point gap between them in fourth and Beveren in second place. So, yeah, we could have a three-team race for that second spot, which will just be a little bit crazy. And like I said, they'll then, whoever does kind of cling on to that, will have battled their way into that second spot with a bit of momentum. So they'll be battle-hardened come the time they have to face the 1A side, which could be quite a worry for whichever 1A side ends up dropping into that. In terms of the Pro League next week, let's have a quick look at kind of the fixtures we have coming up. Obviously, we have like Antwerp in the two cup games this midweek. Friday, we have Charleroi against Selang. Should be a good one there. like hosts St. Sluden. Standard hosts Circle Bruges and East End hosts Leuven. And then Saturday night, we have a big one at the top again. Antwerp host Union Saint-Juloir. That could be massive in terms of how the title race goes. Uh, Sunday, Club Bruges may have a chance to catch up with both of those teams, depending on the result. They face Ghent at home again. So they get to see Ghent quite a bit this week. Uh, Mechelen host Beer Scott, who are massively running out of time. Anderlecht get to play Erpen again. <laughs> um, so they get to see each other for the second time on Sunday. And then Genk will be back in action. They will host Zorta Varagem. Next week, we also have some catch-up games a week on a Wednesday in the midweek. We have Zorta, Oostend and Leuven against Genk. So there is plenty of action going on in the Belgian Pro League and Cup this week. So yeah, you will not be sport for choice when it comes to matches. That probably wraps up this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast for this week. We do have an upcoming special with Alex Muzio of the of Union Chantelois, which I have to say is going to be very, very, very good listening, if I do say so myself. Really enjoyable chat we had with him. Definitely some interesting his kind of approach to football and his kind of approach with Union and how Union approach things and everything like that, kind of from when they took over to the current situation that we see them in now at the top of the league, which you'll hear all about in that special episode so we're sure you will enjoy that anyway enough of my rambling scott yoris as always thank you for joining me on this episode it's an absolute delight and i'm now away to pour myself a nice cold belgian beer tiny Hank plays again this week i'm so far a happy man so we'll see you out next week how that evolves <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, you'll be back to speaking about Genk again. Um, we had a nice week off for you this time. Great. So yeah, just the usual to wrap this one up. If you do enjoy listening to us, please do leave us a review. You can now do so on Spotify and you can do so on lots of your other podcasting kind of listening places. You can also get in touch with us. We do love to hear from everyone. You can tweet us. It's at Belgian Podcasts. You can also find us all individually if you want to get in touch about anything we've said. I'm at BenJack94. Scott is at Scott underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore Beck. Alternatively, if you prefer, you can email us. It's BelgianFootPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.